Yeah, it's, it's great to be here. I don't know about you, but have you been enjoying the, the series? Yes? Yeah, it's been really good. I feel like it's, it's just every week speaking into something that's, that's going on in our lives and something that God uh, wants to say to us. Now, and I hope today, of course, is the same way. <laughs> now, the last three and a half years, they have been difficult. 2019, protests, social unrest. Then in 2020, COVID-19 came to Hong Kong. I mean, just think of this. Three and a half years, to one degree or another, we have been living in a crisis. And so it's no surprise that this has impacted us. This didn't just pass by. There's many different ways that it has impacted us. Relationally, politically, socially, economically, but also spiritually. For many of us, this time really has impacted our relationship with Jesus. And it's taken a hit. There's many different reasons for it. For everyone, has a, there's something different. But I just want to name a few things. So for some of us, perhaps we, we've been slipping either back into or for the very first time into some addictive behavior. For others of us, the worries and the social isolation and all that's been happen happening it's just been weighing on us. And it's been cr crushing us. It's been this like burden just on our shoulders and it's been taking up all our time and consuming our, our thoughts and our energy. And we're just drained. We're tired. Some of us are tired and angry at God. Maybe at church, maybe at church leaders. We're just disappointed for one reason or another. And then for many of us, the tank is just empty, and it just doesn't seem to be filling up. We're just running on empty. And earlier, we, we sang about, and it was beautiful, the faithfulness of God, that he is always faithful. That's who God is. And today, we're going to look at how God is faithful to us in our brokenness, in our emptiness, and that he wants to meet us. And we're going to explore a, a Bible passage with two questions. The first one is, how does Jesus invite us to receive the grace and the life that he has to offer that restores, renews, and truly satisfies? So that's the first one. And then the second one is, what are some of the ways of relating to Jesus that keep us from fully experiencing what Jesus has to offer. Because there's ways that we approach him that don't really work. So we're going to talk about that. So we are continuing in our Remedy of Relationship series. The topic is communal relationships. And before we go into our passage, into account of Jesus and the Gospel of John, I want to settle up the context so we can enter the story and we know what's going on. So Jesus, he is in Galilee, in Israel. He's in a remote part, and there's 5,000 people that have followed him. And they're hungry, but there's no, no food there. And so Jesus does this incredible miracle, and he multiplies food, multiplies fish, and everybody has more than enough to eat. It is absolutely incredible. 
But then Jesus discerns that the crowd, they want to make Jesus king. But the type of king they want to make him, that's, that's not why Jesus has come. Jesus has a different mission. And so Jesus decides to withdraw because he knows what their plans are. They have a different agenda for him. And so he withdraws to the hill. And in the meantime, the disciples, they take off with the only boat to head back to Capernaum. And so for me, I'm like, what were the disciples thinking? <laughs> Just take the only boat, leave Jesus behind? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem like good friends, right? Like you're at a party and you leave and you leave your friend behind? <laughs> so it's not, not what you're supposed to do, but they do it. So then somewhere along the night, Jesus decides to follow them and he actually does another miracle. He walks on water and he meets them and they're kind of freaked out and they end up uh, going to Capernaum. So the next day the crowd wakes up you know, it was a little camping trip, 5,000 people sleeping out in the wilderness. <laughs> and they're like, where is Jesus? We know the disciples left on the only boat and Jesus wasn't on the boat. Where did he go? And then some boats come, they take some of them with them. And so they're chasing after Jesus. And they, they end up going to Capernaum and that's where you pick up the story. So we're in John chapter 6, verse 25 through 35 today. And starting in verse 25, it says, When he found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For in him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I just want to pause you for a second. Now, Jesus had just done this incredible miracle, and here they're asking him to prove himself. I mean, it's unbelievable. Okay. But Jesus responds and he says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So here we're in this dialogue between Jesus and the crowd. And, we, and what we want to do is we want to look at some different postures that the crowd has in some different ways that they're relating or, or not relating to Jesus. Because some of those postures and ways of relating, they, they really undermine, they make us miss out on what Jesus has to offer and what he wants to give us and what he wants to pour out over us. The grace, the love that he wants to share with us. And so we're, we're going to look at that because the same things happen in our lives as well. We do the same things as a crowd. But as we go through this, I also want you to notice just Jesus' patience. 
how patient he is with the crowd. They're really annoying. But he's so patient because he loves them and he just wants them to, to know him and to experience what he is offering them. And so we're also later on going to look at that. But let's look at the first thing. So when they find Jesus in Capernaum, they ask him, when did you get here? Now, that seems like a rather trivial question. It's probably small talk. You just need to get the conversation started somehow. And it's interesting how Jesus does not reply. He doesn't tell them how he got there. He doesn't tell them when he got there. He's not like, I walked on water, and then at 3.45 a.m., you know, I arrived here. That's not what Jesus does. But instead, he cuts right through what's going on in a conversation. He speaks some truth. And this is what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Jesus, he, he, he loves us. But part of that love is also speaking truth to us and pointing out things in our lives, you know, where we're missing missing something, where we're missing the mark. And Jesus, he knows everything about us. And so there is no, like, hiding when we come and stand in, in, in front of him. But I think it's important to remember that he already knows everything and he has chosen to love us anyhow. But, but he, he does speak truthfully into things. So Jesus discerns that their motives of talking to him, they have to do with the bread that he has to offer. Now they missed, so Jesus just did this incredible sign, and you would think maybe they want to, there's someone responding to the sign, and, or what the sign points to, but instead they're really just focused on the bread, they're there for the bread. So they focus on the sign instead of what the sign reveals, which is that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Redeemer, is the one they've actually been waiting for. But they're missing that because they're so focused on this bread. Now, food at that time, just like it is today, significant, I would say it was even in, for that time period, was even more significant for the people right there than for maybe a lot of us here. Because if you ask somebody back then, why are you working? They would say, to put food on my table and to survive. And 80% of wages, scholars estimate, went towards purchasing food. Now, for some of us, maybe that's even true today here. But for a lot of us, not 80% of our wages go towards food. So we can see that food, Jesus providing this food and doing this miracle is amazing. Like, it's an absolute incredible provision. But what happens is, they see here a business opportunity. They're like, all right, Jesus, you make that bread. You keep making it. We'll make you king. And then we can start purchasing that field. We can start purchasing that boat. And we're going to start that fishing business. It's going to be amazing. Let's do it, Jesus. So what's, what's happening is, they're trying to fit Jesus into their agenda. Right. And they're actually missing what Jesus has to offer. They're missing the person that is standing in front of them. Yep. And we do that a lot of times too. 
where we just want to fit Jesus into our agenda. We come to him, we're like, all right, Jesus, um, I want to succeed in this business idea and in this relationship. Now you go to work. Let's go, let's do it. And you know, the truth is like, actually Jesus loves when we come to him and we bring things that are in our heart. He's, you know, he loves giving good gifts to his children. But when we completely and utterly miss who he is, and we're just so fixed on ourselves, we're really missing out on what Jesus wants to give us. So when we only approach Jesus with the purpose of having him help us achieve our goals and accomplish our own ends, we miss out on what Jesus truly has to offer, which is life-transforming relationship. Now, I don't know if you ever experienced somebody just trying to fit you into their agenda. I've, I've experienced that. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel good, right? It's like, I'm right here. You, do you not see me? <laughs> and so Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I have something that is so much better, so much more awesome to offer than what you are trying to get from me. So he calls out the crowd's wrong motives. And it's actually a loving thing because he does not want them to miss the grace, the love, the life that he wants to pour out to them and give them. So we try to fit Jesus into our agenda and miss out on the relationship, grace, and life that Jesus has to offer. So what, what are some ways that perhaps you or we are trying to fit Jesus into our agenda? Now Jesus continues in his dialogue with the crowd. Actually, he, he just keeps talking. They, you know, he, they asked the question, when did you get here? And he still responded. But he says then, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. So besides exposing their, their wrong motives and their agenda, he now encourages them, don't work and focus on material things. You know, focus on, you know, work and put your energy and your imagination towards the thing, towards me that gives in life everlasting. Stop striving for food that spoils. Stop chasing after things that do not fully satisfy or deliver. Now, all of us, we long deeply for wholeness. We just want to be well. We just want to be loved. We just want to be significant. We just want to have a purpose. But a lot of times, we think that material things or things other than God, that they deliver that. So we say to ourselves, I know what will make me happy. If I get this relationship, or if I buy this house, or if I get this car, or get this job, or this degree, then finally I'm going to be whole. And finally my life's going to be good, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be amazing, and I'm going to feel content. 
Now, I remember in the 90s, I was a teenager back then. It's a little bit ago. But it was a thing that I really desired. It was Levi 501 jeans. <laughs> so it was like the big thing back then. And I heard earlier, apparently here in Hong Kong in the 90s, that was true as well, so good. And I, I wanted to have those jeans because I thought they're going to make me cool. And maybe the girl that I had a crush on, she's going to like me if I have those jeans. And then I talked to my parents, and I was like, can I have those jeans? And they're like, how much do they cost? I was like, 200 mark, 200, 100 US dollars, probably not 200 US dollars. They're like, nope. And then we, we ended up going on vacation to the U.S., and, and there they, at that time they cost $30 or something like that there, and I got a pair. Ooh, amazing. <laughs> so, so then I came back to Germany with my Levi 501 jeans on, you know, going to class. But the reality is, and you know that, it actually didn't make me cooler. <laughs> it didn't help. And it also didn't help with my crush. <laughs> She... I wrote her a little love note, and I put it in her pencil case. <laughs> and she, so I actually, I'll give a little bit more detail than in the other services. So we're, we're, going, we're going to get a little intimate here. I have horrible handwriting, and so I really slowly wrote it, you know, beautifully. And then when she got the note, she thought, because she knew my handwriting was ugly, that I didn't write the note, and she actually thought that somebody else had written it when was trying to make fun of me and mess with me. But it's okay, I've gotten over it by now. <laughs> it's only, you know, 30 years ago or something. But I, I know that's a silly illustration, but we, we do those things with objects and things. We say to ourselves, if only I could have this career, if only I could get into that school, if only I could be in a relationship with that person, if only this pandemic will end, then everything is going to be okay, and I'm going to feel good, and I'll be content, and I'll be happy. And so we take these objects that are good things in and of themselves. They're not bad things. And we make them ultimate things. We give them ultimate importance, and we think that they can deliver what only God can give us. Now, Tim Keller, a well-known pastor from the, from the U.S., uh, from New York City, he, he defines a bit idols Uh, in the following. So basically what we are doing, we're making those things idols. And he says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I know there's been a lot of things that have absorbed my heart and imagination. And that still happens where I think, oh, if this happens, I'm, you know, then I'll be okay. But then when we actually reach our, our goals or, or get those things, yeah, they feel good. And a lot of times they do give pleasure. And, and they're, they're not, not necessarily bad things. But they never truly, fully satisfy our deep longings that were stirred in our hearts when we started chasing after them. And then when we get it, you know what we do? We say, oh, you know, that was not it. Actually, I think it's this other thing. And then we start chasing after the other thing. And so that cycle just keeps going. And Jesus 
he, he speaks into that. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Come and receive from me the life that satisfies, that I have to offer. I want to give it to you. I want you to be refreshed, renewed, or I want you to have a new life that is found in me. Come to me. So Jesus challenges us to stop investing all our time, energy, into trying to find fulfillment in material things and instead invest ourselves in him as our source of true and lasting satisfaction. So I don't know about you, but what, what are some things that have been stirring your heart and your imagination that have been occupying all your thoughts, taken up a lot of your energy? And perhaps how have those things led you away from placing your trust in Jesus and coming to Jesus? Well, let's look at the, the third thing that we can learn from the crowd, the third posture um, that sabotages the life that God wants to give us. And so the crowd, they pick up from Jesus' challenge to work for things that truly satisfy, uh, they pick up the word work. And they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So in other words, they're asking God, give us a to-do list so we know how to gain favor, love, and right standing from you. Show us, show us what we need to do. And we're going to get to work. We're going to get cracking. We're going to get going. And the basic idea behind this is it's quite simple. It's this. God's goodness and love and generosity towards us depend on our efforts. That's in essence what they're saying. God's goodness and love and generosity towards us depend on our efforts. And in some ways, we, we can understand this posture because that's actually what we've been learning all our life. Like, when we're little children, you know, we're good, good boys and girls, then we get the cookie. And for bad boys and girls, we don't get the cookie. And in that way, in a lot of relationships, if we put in a lot of effort, then we gain favor or we, or we gain favor back in the relationship, but we don't, then we don't get the favorable treatment or whatever it is that we're looking for. And so we approach God in the same way. We think, if I, if I put this effort in, if I do this, then, then he'll love me. Or then, then I'll be in right standing with God. But the, the, the problem with that also is that if we try to do that, you know, out of our own efforts, it just, it's exhausting. Because there's actually nothing that we can do that gains us the favor from God. God just chooses to give that to us. It's not something that we, we can earn or that we can manipulate where we're like entitled. I think that's actually what we do a lot. We try to say like, okay, God, um, I'm gonna stop doing this and I'll start doing that and then you do this. And then we think because we do this, then we're entitled to that, right? That, that's what we do. Probably all have done those bargains with God, right? Okay, good. Th thanks, Allison, for letting me know that I'm not the only one. Yeah. But, but Jesus, he, he speaks in that as well. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, if you notice, earlier the crowd asked, what works, you know, must we do? 
Now, Jesus is not talking about the works that they must do. He's suddenly just talking about the work that God has done. And then all they need to do is believe in him. They need to trust him. They need to come to him. That's it. So Jesus, he, he loves pouring out his generosity, his favor, his goodness, you know, towards us. But you know, he does that by grace. It's unearned merit. It's unearned favor. And, and, he, and he loves giving that to us. And all we need to do is come and place our trust in him. And that's not a one-time thing that we do. Every time when we come to Jesus, he replenishes us and he he showers us with grace and his goodness. So we try to redeem ourselves with our own efforts instead of letting Jesus redeem us. And whenever we try to do that, it is just exhausting and just wears us out. And it's not the way it works. So again, Jesus is just out of our... For, for love's sake, it's just showing us how we can have this relationship with them and how this works. So let me briefly summarize what we've covered so far. So we looked at the dialogue with the crowd and Jesus, and there's three things, three postures or ways of relating or not relating to Jesus that we've looked at. The first one was we try to fit Jesus into our agenda. And when we do that, we miss who Jesus is and what he really has to offer because we're just so fixated on ourselves and what we're trying to accomplish that we're not even able to receive what he has for us. That's the first thing. And second, we try to find wholeness and satisfaction things other than Jesus. We think that material things will deliver that. If only we get this, then finally I will feel whole then finally I'll be loved. Then finally I will be significant. And then the third thing we do, we just draw from our day-to-day -day relationships and we relate to Jesus we, we, in, in terms of work and we try to earn his love, we try to earn his favor by doing a lot of good work. Now, as we've seen, all these three ways of relating, they, they don't lead to this life that Jesus just wants to pour out on us and he wants to give us. And I want you to notice just how Jesus stays engaged with the crowd. I mean, as, I'm, as I was studying this, and I spent a lot of time going over this, I was starting to get annoyed. <laughs> you know, like, but I was like, man, Jesus, he's so patient with us. He's so patient with us because he loves us. And he puts up with our brokenness and our weird ways of trying to relate to him. And even when, even when we don't try to relate to him, he encourages us to relate to him and to come to him. But let's turn to the first question that I actually asked earlier, which was, how does Jesus invite us to receive the grace and life that he has to offer that restores, renews, and that truly satisfies? Like, what do we do? So the dialogue between the crowd and, and Jesus continues, but then he makes this, this declaration in verse 35, and he says, then, or it says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, 
and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow, that's amazing. And Jesus, he's, he's using this revelatory statement, I am. That's how God chose to reveal himself to Moses and who he is in Exodus. And so here, Jesus is revealing to the crowd in a deeper way. He makes himself known who he is. He is the one that provides ultimate satisfaction. He's the one that can fill us like nothing else in this world can fill us. And he wants the crowd and he wants us to know that. And there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John and each of them reveals a bit more about God's heart, Jesus' heart for us, that he wants us to know about himself and who he is for us. So Jesus invites us to simply to come. It's about coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus. And literally the, the act of when we come to him in prayer and we talk to him about what's going on, that's actually an act of faith. Maybe it's little faith, but it's faith. And God can work with that. And he starts working in your life when we do that. So the remedy of our brokenness, tiredness, and emptiness is found when we come to Jesus, commune with him. We just sit with him and receive his grace poured out over our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite the worship team to, to come up right now. And it's... Our, our, our messy and broken lives, they're, they're renewed, not because we clean up our life ourselves, we put things in order, we try out of our own strength, but they're renewed because we come to Jesus, we come to him in our brokenness, with our tears, with our tiredness, and because we come to him, Jesus meets us pours out his grace, his love, his mercy, renews us, refreshes us, restores us. And as we receive this grace that he wants to pour it over us, it never leaves us untouched. Jesus' grace touches us. His love moves us. His goodness moves us. And the grace of God breaks the power of sin an addiction in our lives. And today, as I was, was praying for us, I really had a sense that there are people struggling with addiction. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you made it because a lot of times when we struggle with addiction, whether it's with alcohol or pornography or drugs, whatever it is, there's a lot of times so much shame. And it's so hard for us to even just to come to church because we feel, you know, miserable on the inside. But the beauty is when we come with our brokenness to Jesus, Jesus is not saying you need to first clean up your life and then you come. He comes, you come with your brokenness and then I clean up your life because you come and I pour my spirit over your life. I pour my grace and I do something new in you. I do something beautiful in you. And I give you the power and the grace that is needed to live differently. When I was a, a teenager, I was living in fear and in spiritual oppression. And I was trying to deal with it out of my own strength. 
And I, and there was a point, there was a point where I just couldn't imagine how is life going to be if this just keeps going like this. Really, it just didn't look like a good life. And so, in in, in that tiredness and boredness, I came to Jesus. And I don't, I didn't even pray like the perfect prayer. I just came to him and said, Jesus, I need you. And he met me and he broke the power of fear and he broke the power of demonic oppression in my life. And he gave me freedom. He gave me a new life. But that's not the only thing he did. You know, a few years ago, I hit a point in my life where I couldn't imagine how I could move forward. I just hit a wall. And I really was at a point where I was like, Jesus, I don't even care if you take me now. I've lived my life, I've done my thing. And but as I came to Jesus, he, he spoke this word over me. During a, during, I actually was during a worship service, or like us right here. I, I was just pouring out my heart to him. And he's, he said these words, Jesus, uh, Tim, I'm not finished with you yet. But I felt like he was finished. I felt like there was no way forward. And he released hope. He released new life. And it was true. He gave me the grace and the strength to move forward when I did not have the grace and the strength to move forward. And today right here, he wants to pour this out over our lives as we come to him. You know, when Jesus pours out his grace over us, there's new birth. We become adopted children. When, when, when he pours out and gives us his Holy Spirit, we're a new creation. He gives us a new family. He gives us a spiritual family. So we don't have to do this alone. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is just saying, come. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So church, I want to just invite you to just pray with me right now. We're going to come to Jesus right now. Jesus, we, you, you know our lives. Nothing is hidden from you. You know our struggles. You know our tiredness. You know our exhaustion. You know the things that we put our hope in that are other, other things that are not you. And Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. We welcome you. We pray, will you pour out your grace over us, over those areas where we're struggling, over those areas where we're empty, over those areas where we're hurting, over these areas where we're addicted. Will you break these addictions in Jesus' name? Will you take away our shame, wipe away our tears, comfort our hearts, pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you right now to continue to coming to Jesus and to pour your heart out to him. And then the worship team will then lead us, you know, further out of this time of prayer. But let's, let's right now continue to reflect and continue to pour our hearts out to Jesus.